This is episode number 331 with Andy Frisella of the Founder Podcast. What you need is thirst. You need to be a thirsty human. Who is intent on learning. It's a really fascinating, fascinating exploration of human potential. Now. Now. now, the Founder Podcast. Even the greatest entrepreneurs had help. If you want to learn from the most successful founders on the planet, you are in the right place. Branson, Mark Cuban, Tony Robbins, Tim Ferriss, Ariana Huffington, Steve Case, Gary Vee, Sophia Amoroso, Robert Corcoran, Damon John. Learn from the greatest minds in business today with interviews hosted by Nathan Chan. This is not your average entrepreneur podcast. The Founder Podcast. Hey guys, thank you so much for tuning in. Before we start today's episode, I just want to let you know that our goal at Founder is to help entrepreneurs succeed however we can by giving away high quality content in the form of interviews, blog posts, podcasts, YouTube videos, you name it. We put out so much content to help you. And another interesting project that we're working on right now is partnering with world-class founders like Damon John, Alexa Von Tobel, Greta Van Riel, and so many more to teach crucial skills like negotiation, finance, e-commerce, and so much more. So if you'd like to get access to these free trainings with founders like this, which is 100% free, just go to founder.com forward slash free. Okay, so now let's talk about today's episode. What's going on, Founder Fam? Hope you are doing well wherever you are around the world and uh, you and your family are healthy and safe. Nathan Chan here, Sion Publisher of Founder Magazine and also the host of this show. So what is happening in Melbourne, hometown Melbourne? Um, We are out of lockdown, which is... Oh my God, it's been good. Um, We've been in hardcore lockdown since March. We had three weeks of freedom in June. And uh, yeah, we're we're slowly, slowly, slowly coming out of lockdown, which is great. So I can actually see my friends, see my family, and uh, yeah, see the founder team. And uh, the reason I tell you this is because it kind of leads me to how I'm interviewing uh, today's guest, Andy Frisella. So I've known Andy like long time, like four or five years ago since the Instagram days. We used to post like really cool stuff. Like this guy's a hardcore, you know, extremely successful founder. And he's built a company of true worth and significance first form. And I talked to him about his journey and how he's built that company and really how he's developed and really um, cultivated mental toughness, which is something that I haven't talked to a lot of guests about, but I think if you're a founder playing at the kind of level that he's playing at, you know, nine figures a year, annual plus business, hundreds of employees, um, you need to have a next level mindset. Uh, look, you, period, you, you need to have a next level mindset or keep constantly building and developing your mindset as you grow as a founder. So we talk about that a lot. And, you know, Andy also created uh, this challenge called the 75 Hard Challenge, which I've been doing in lockdown. I'm, and I'm up to like day 69 uh, with my partner and also a lot of the founder team are doing it as well. And it's just been 
incredibly life-changing to go through that program um, and I highly, highly recommend. It's a free challenge. You basically commit to 75 days of training two times a day, reading 10 pages a day of a book, um, committing to a diet, no alcohol, no cheat meals, just really just taking things to the next level and it's been life-changing for me. Um, I've lost a lot of weight. I've got back in shape. My mindset is better than it's ever been. It's just really helped me um, with all the craziness that's going on. So, yeah, guys, if you are enjoying these episodes, please do take the time to leave us a review. Otherwise, that's it from me. Now let's jump to the show. Andy, thanks so much for taking the time, man. Oh, it's, I'm I'm happy to happy to have some human interaction here as uh, limited as it can be. Uh, thanks for having me on, Nathan. Appreciate it, brother. You're welcome. So, like, um, I was just saying, I was just about to say, like, offline, like, it's so great to connect. Like, the stuff that you've done with the 75 Hard Challenge is incredible. Like, this is a true legacy that you're building. Like, one of my coaches and advisors who's built a very, very large business, he's doing it right now. We got hardcore lockdowns here in Melbourne. And he said to me, like, Nathan, like, this is one of the most life-changing things I've ever done. Charlie's, uh, who's behind the camera, he's on day, I think, 25 or 30? 25. I'm, I'm going to do it, like, but I, before we get into that, like, you know, what you're doing there with the challenge is just incredible. I've, you know, I saw you and, like, we've gone up and back over Instagram very, very long time ago, maybe, like, four or five years ago. So, look, thanks so much for coming on, man, because you have an incredible story. Thank you. Thank you. So the first question I ask everyone that comes on is, how did you get your job? Oh, man. Uh, well, I've always been an entrepreneur. Uh, even when I was a kid, um, I was the kid that was always trying to have a little hustle to try to figure out how to make some money. Um, you know, I did all the things kids do. Uh, ba- you know, baseball cards, uh, sold uh, lemonade and uh, snow cones. Uh, I sold light bulbs door to door. I always try to figure out how to how to get something going. And, it, you know, I didn't do well in school because I always I always knew what I wanted to do. I knew I wanted to be a business owner and I knew uh, I could recognize information that was relevant to that and what it wasn't. So it wasn't that I wasn't a smart kid. Uh, it was just that I knew what I was interested in and I didn't pay attention to anything that I wasn't. So it was almost like I was just hyper focused. You know, I went through school. I struggled. I was a good athlete. And then when I was when I got out of high school, I went to college like you're supposed to. And my first year of college, I realized very quickly that it wasn't what I wanted to do in my life. And so I quit and I started a, a, a small company in 1999 uh, called Supplement Superstores, which is a retail chain of uh, vitamins and, and sport performance supplements and health supplements. And I did that with uh, my business partner, Chris, who's still my partner today. And we started with $12,000 and we got the $12,000 by uh, um, paying the parking lot stripes, uh, you know, the parking spaces. And we did that and we were able to accumulate a little bit of startup money and we got the business off the ground. And, uh, you know, the that first 10 years were very hard. Uh, that first day we sold seven bucks. Uh, the second day we sold zero. The third day we sold uh, $22. We didn't have a day over $200 for eight months. Uh, our second store took us six years. So, I mean, it was very slow. Uh, the first three years of business, I made $0. I had to work other jobs. 
the whole entire time to even keep the store open. And then we got to a point where in 2010, we, we had some things going. Uh, you know, we had six stores at that time. And we decided to, uh, we had just got first form started. We had one product and we weren't rich after 10 years, basically, you know, and we had to have a conversation uh, of reality where it was, well, do we want to keep doing this or do we want to do other things? Because Chris and I were only making $695 a month, 10 years into the business. So we could have, yeah, we could have literally made more money working at McDonald's or working at, uh, you know, anywhere. And so we had to get real with where we were in life. You know, we were both nearly 30 years old, but there was one thing about what we did that we enjoyed, which was we, in our business, when you help someone learn about nutrition and exercise and, and how to eat and how to train, there are incredible transformations happen. Um, and, you know, we would have these people that would come in after six, seven months of training, after talking to us, and they'd be unrecognizable. They'd have tears in their eyes. They're super happy. And we loved that part of the business. That was a, that was a part of the business that we really enjoyed. And so we kind of got to a point where we're like, well, we don't really want to do anything else, but we know we're not going to be wealthy doing this. So let's just try to replicate that result with people the best that we can. And when that happened, everything changed for us. We grew 100% five years in a row um, and everything started to click because we took the focus off of what we could get and put it on what we could give. And so um, fast forward another 10 years, uh, 11 years, and, and here I am. So that's how I got the job. <laughs> yeah, wow. That's, that's interesting. So um, crazy stories. Um, I Like I, you know, uh, you, I know you always talk about more often than not the hard times, the stuff that people don't talk about. Um, you're not a fan of the glitz and the glamour and the Lamborghinis and all that kind of stuff, the get rich quick kind of rubbish that's out there. I'm curious around kind of just for clarity for the audience, kind of for, for those that aren't familiar with how big First Form is now and what you've done with the 75 Hard Challenge. Like, can you give a, can a bit of an idea of, of like scale with First Form now? Oh, yeah. We're, we should, if things continue, we should hit 500 million in sales this year. So, I mean, we're, we're big. Uh, for, for a couple guys that, have no clue what the fuck we're doing. Uh, we're doing okay. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. So, I mean, it, it, that's definitely important to know. Um, and we've, the last three or four years, we've had about an 80% growth rate every single year. So we've been doing very well, staying on the throttle. Uh, and our, our goal is we want to be, uh, the next Nike level, Under Armour level, Adidas level brand, for people out there that doesn't just have apparel, but also performance such as like Gatorade, right? So we're trying to combine those two world worlds into one super company. And it, you know, it's just going to take, it's going to, it's going to be a lifelong project for us for sure. Yeah. Wow. And, um, everything that you're doing, uh, like, are you extremely active in the company or have you taken a little bit of a step back or? No, I just still, I mean, I'm here every day, just like normal. And, uh, I'm in, I mean, I don't, I don't, I do what a normal CEO would do. 
You know, uh, I mean, I, I handle all the different departments. I meet with everybody once a week. Um, <clears throat> I haven't, I haven't removed myself from that, uh, in, for, in regards to first form. Now, a few of the other companies that we own, yeah, we do have guys that act as a CEO, things like that. Uh, my brother helps me out with running first form a lot. He's the president of first form. So him and I kind of handled the CEO duties together. Yep. Um, but it's just, uh, you know, it's, it's, I haven't, <laughs> I would trust me, man. I wish I could back myself out of it, but I, you know, we have so far to go. Um, I feel like it won't happen unless I'm still in it. So it's just, uh, you know, I, so Nathan, for me, like a lot of people will say, oh, congratulations on success and this and that. But for me, you know, the last 20 years have been just so that we can get into that bigger game. So now now we're in a situation where we can actually compete at a bigger scale. And, you know, it's almost like having a brand new business because everything changes. And that's really exciting as well. Um, so I'm just I'm as you talk, you've talked to, you know, thousands and thousands and thousands of guys. Uh, you know, the guys that get to this level where we're at, you, you know, we're built for this, man. It's in our blood and we can't, I can't get out of it even if I wanted to. Um, and I could, like, I, I could do whatever I want. Like if I wanted to buy a ranch up in Montana and disappear and never post again on the internet, never do another podcast, I could do that today. And we probably, I personally would be fine, mm -hmm. but I, I take the responsibility of having employees and being responsible for their development and their livelihoods very serious. I have a lot of guys who have been with me for 10, 12, 15 years who started out at seven bucks an hour that are now, you know, making considerable income. And my goal is to create the opportunity for them to have the life that they want, just sort of how uh, they've done that for me, if that makes sense. So I feel a real serious obligation to my people. Um, and that's why I haven't backed out and that's why I haven't sold. And that's why I haven't taken money off the table. Uh, and I just kept in because they were there for, for me and I'm going to be there for them. And that's how it worked. And everybody asks, like, how do you guys have the relationship? Uh, you know, how do you have the culture that you have and all? And it's because of what I'm talking about right now. They, they know that I'm there for them. Sal's there for them. Our leadership is there for them. And uh, and they're there in return for us. So it's a it's a total cohesive team effort uh, in this in this building. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, I, I really respect that. Um, you know, I I have heard a lot about your culture and how intentional it is and how you've built it strategically. Um, well, even one of my senior leaders, our head of marketing, Dave, massive fan of yours. A lot of people that found a team is massive fan of yours. So everyone was really pumped when we were interviewing you and um, I'd love to hear kind of like that intention, like, can you tell us about your, your company values and, and what would like onboarding look for like a new team member in the first couple of weeks? I'd love to hear. Yeah, for sure, man. So, you know, I think part of the problem um, when it comes to culture and business owners is that most business owners and most people think that culture is an accident. They think, you know, like when you go into your favorite restaurant or your favorite store and it has that feeling and you just happen to like it, we, we tend to think that that's just an accident. And a lot of times it is happenstance or it is just a, a, um, an alignment that happens to be by chance. But 
If you take that a step further and you start to, you know, understand that that can be created, that's where the doors of growth start to open for true, true entrepreneurs to grow their brand. You know, uh, like you said, a lot of the guys that are out there right now, they're not really, they're not committed to building a brand. They're committed to building a stream of income. And it's important to delineate the difference. So um, I do love the Lamborghinis and Ferraris and all that stuff. I just don't, I just know that it's appropriate at a certain time, you know? Um, so if we're talking about building a brand and not an income stream, we're, we're talking about two different things. So when you build a brand, you have to decide what it is you want your brand to feel like, taste like, smell like, um, and be to your consumers and your employees. And not a lot of people do that. And what tends to happen is a lot of people, their brand automatically takes on the persona of whoever the CEO is. Okay. So the brand is sort of like whoever the CEO is, but then what happens when the CEO dies or he moves on or he sells the company, everything changes. So that's a big liability to a brand, right? Because you should be able to, to replace leadership and maintain the same field. So how do you do that? Well, you have to design it intentionally. And so that's where the idea of having um, a certain set of values that guide your brand uh, come into place. All right. So when you set your values up, and, and this is how I would recommend it to all the young entrepreneurs listening. When you set your values up, you know, you have to really ask yourself on the inside, what do I stand for? What do I want my company to stand for? And what are the good things about me personally that I want our customers and our employees to represent and know? And this is important. It has to be truth because if it's fake, you won't live the values and your customers and your employees will see it and it will create a sense of uh of deception, of a fake culture that actually pushes people away. So it's very important that whenever you decide what it is that you're going to represent, that it's that is something that you can literally stand on as a human. So what I recommend for younger people to do is to outline, you know, six to 10 values that would represent who they are. And then, you know, you have to make them known. You have to teach people what they mean and what they stand for. And then here's the hard part. You have to uh, live those yourself and your company. So when we talk about like, you know, I speak to people all over the world like you, you like you do as well. When we talk to people who are not familiar with what culture really is, this is really confusing because terms like value and terms like uh culture they're thrown around right if you go watch any of the video by any guru you know they talk about value and they talk about providing value and they talk about culture and like none of them really ever elaborate on that it's just a 60 second clip and you're sitting there kind of like well what the hell are they talking about so what they're talking about is how to intentionally create that feeling where your customer can you know pick up whatever it is the shirt the bottle the cell phone case, whatever. And they get that feeling about what it is that you want your brand to stand for. And that, that, that 100% requires an intentional effort. And that's why there's so few companies 
that have the, a loyalty or a following that some of the most famous companies in the world do, like Harley Davidson, right? Mm-hmm. Harley Davidson guys usually aren't riding Yamahas, and, the, and and it really doesn't matter if Yamaha gives them a bike, they're still going to ride a Harley. They're going to pay to ride a Harley because it, the culture is a part of who they are and who they identify with. And so moving from just a guy, I mean, these are the two extremes. We got the, the, the entrepreneur who, who has a product, he's got a cell phone case. And then we have on the other end of the scale, the entrepreneur whose cell phone case is so popular and so good and so desired that people won't use another one, even if they get it for free. All right. And those are the two, those are the two ends of the spectrum. And the one you want to be on is the one where people are so loyal to your product that they won't use anybody else's product because the market is so competitive now that anybody could come in and compete on price and anybody could come in and compete on service and anybody could come in and and compete on how fast they get your product. So what are we really competing for? We're competing for a consumer's loyalty. We're competing for their identity. We're competing to be a part of their life. And that's where a lot of entrepreneurs are missing the ticket and, and they can't get any market share because this process, unfortunately, is a slow one. It's not something that you can do, uh, in, in, you know, in three weeks, you know, become a millionaire in 21 days. Like you just can't do it. It takes time and it takes commitment. And it also takes real honesty amongst the leaders of the company. Like we have to assess ourselves daily and say, OK, uh, like one of our core values here is uh, accept responsibility. OK, very simple things. These aren't crazy things. But am I accepting responsibility for any of the issues that we have? Because ultimately, I'm the CEO. If there's a problem in shipping with a guy who uh, doesn't want to do the work, that's actually my fault. And the reason it's my fault is because I didn't put in place enough of of, uh, a system or teach enough to where that would be eliminated as a problem. It's kind of like what Jocko talks about with extreme ownership. Mm. You have to own all of your problems and you have to be the person who is always. And a lot of times, even the guys who make the core values, the guy, the CEO who decides on the core values, they drift away from the core values. Right. So the core values that you set for your company should be something that you measure yourself against, you measure your product against, you measure your employees against. And then the big key here is, you know, not only do you measure them, but you correct and reward in those areas as well. So for example, if I were to uh, go out and talk to this person in the warehouse, who's having a bad time or a difficult time, I would talk to him. Not, I wouldn't go out there and I wouldn't say, hey, Joe, you're really screwing up. You know, you're doing a terrible job. That's not what I would do. What I would do is I would say, hey, Joe. I heard that you're having some issues with this. OK, um, and, and on the wall in the warehouse are the core values. They're real big. Yep. And I would say, here, let me let me help you. You're struggling with this. What core value does that correlate to up there on the wall? And I would have a conversation with them about. What that, you know, well, he would say and he'd probably say, well, you know, I don't know, I guess I guess I'm just being kind of lazy. And I say, "Okay, go. where's that fit in? He's going to say, be disciplined. okay? because that's another core value. 
And I'm going to say, that's right. Now, and, and so basically we have a teaching moment, right? And we might do that three or four or 10 times as long as they're continuing to progress. Now, if you go out and coach this person or correct this person on this system and they don't make the adjustment on their own, it, you know what happens. We have to move on. So we have to weed people out then. But that's, an, that's just a real simple example of how you would uh, sort of thin the herd to make sure that culture people are first. And, you know, a lot of people reward on sales and they reward on, uh, you know, uh, very easily measurable metrics. Mm. But what the problem with that is, is that we don't, uh, that's not truly what builds great culture because what happens is we end up with this almost like killer shark mentality, right? Where it's all about the sale and it's never about the customer. And that ruins the customer experience. So what we do is we actually reward a peer review rewards based on our core values consistently. And what that does is that helps people strive towards the values which produce the business. So we, we are a culture first company and sales second. Uh, if that and bro, this is like a six hour conversation. I mean, I could go on and on about this, but hopefully that paints a picture of how we have to tie it together intentionally. Yeah, it does make sense. And and is that how the awards comes into it? You have mm -hmm. like a do you have an annual awards? Yes. So we have uh, we have monthly awards where our our whole company will get together and celebrate together once a month. Uh, and then we have yearly awards that are basically the year version of those awards for the whole year. So like, for example, um, every month we give away an award called go the extra mile, go the extra mile is exactly what it sounds like. It's for the, it's for the, it's for the person who went the extra mile, the best way for somebody outside of our immediate network. So the example that I talk about a lot uh, one of my guys here, Drew, who started out as a $7 an hour guy, he has a great, uh, he won go the extra mile award. One time, um, he, uh, we had a customer come in shopping at our retail store. Uh, the customer's battery went dead. Drew went to the auto zone, the store we have here. He bought them a battery and installed it in their car and then got them back on the road as a, as a, as a nutrition store employee. Okay. Mm -hmm. So this person came in and then they left and their, their experience is going to be legendary from now on, right? Like mm -hmm. what's that person saying about the company yeah. forever? Yeah. Yeah. So we, we reward Drew with a monetary bonus for creating those experiences. And when you start to reward people for creating those kind of experiences, you can imagine what it does for your sales. Mm, yeah, no, that's really smart. So, so, I'd love to switch gears and talk a little bit more about kind of this this movement that you're building with 75 hard and also first form. So you're obviously like you're very, very talented at community building, building, you know, like insane, like lifelong advocates that are promoting your personal brand, your company's brands. Like, how do you do that? Like, like what what is the method behind that? Like, what is the intention? What is the strategy behind that? Uh, oh, bro, I wish I could tell you, man. I, 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 I ask these guys all the time. I'm like, why the f do people listen to me? Um, I think, 
You know, I, I think what it is, brother, honestly, uh, is that I'm a regular guy. And I think, you know, if you put a camera on me, I'm not polished. I'm, I'm going to say what I want to say. And I'm going to tell the truth. And I think just that truthfulness has got me a, a long way with that. And so, um, you know, with the 75 hard program, you know, that's the truth. That's what I've used myself to, to build what everybody sees. And I use it, you know, I, I, I'm very open, uh, for the last 20 years, I've suffered with uh, very severe depression on and off. I use the 75 hard program to help me some of the most difficult times uh, through my life. And I use bits and pieces of it. And it wasn't until last year, 2019, that I decided I'm like, okay, we're just going to call this something and we're going to put it out there so people can use it too. And that's what happened. And, you know, I, I, I explained what to do and people started doing it and it worked for them. And, and it, when things work and you have a good product, they spread. So I, I don't like when it comes to growing, uh, like growing an audience like that. Um, I wish I had some more strategy, but the truth is, bro, I just tell the truth, man. And I try to be honest with people and I try to let people know. And I think this is the biggest part of it is that dude, I'm a, I struggle too. You know, I have a hard time too. like, you know, people see the success and they see cars and houses and planes and buildings and all this cool shit. But fuck, man, that stuff's not easy. It's hard, you know, and a lot of entrepreneurs out there, they, they like to uh, use their success to build their character into this superhero type person. And we all know that's bullshit. And there's the, the, the dangerous part about that to me is that because I've lived this, man. I've been that guy who was 19, 20 years old all the way up until I was 30 that felt like, fuck, I, I don't know if I have what it takes to do this. Like, this is hard. I'm not winning. I'm making zero dollars. And I'm looking around at all these other guys. And I'm like, why are all these guys winning so big? But I'm hurting. And so what I started to think was, well, fuck, Andy, you you might just be a terrible entrepreneur. And I remember feeling like that for 10 years. So it's very important to me. You know, a lot of people, I'm not everybody's cup of tea. You know that. Um, but it's because I just tell the truth, bro. And like, I don't have a problem with my ego saying, Hey, I'm a regular dude. Like, in fact, I would rather put that message out there for people because I remember what it was like being the younger guy trying to make it and feeling like I wasn't good enough. And the truth is I was good enough. I just hadn't done it long enough and I hadn't learned the lessons and I hadn't had uh, acquired the skills to be great at it. And eventually, you know, even if you're not very smart, if you do something for a long time, you're going to get good at it. And, and so, um, you know, that's really the story with me, bro. I, I, I wish when it comes to building a culture inside of a building and outside of, I understand how to do that. But the truth is to, to run that, to run that culture, it, it takes realness. It takes honesty. It takes transparency. And a lot of people can't wrap their brain around that. They, they, they still want to like play the part, so to speak for their, and I think that's for their own ego. I think a lot of guys out there, they want to be a big deal. And mm -hmm. I think, that, you know, when you when you want to become a big deal at such a, a 
your desire becomes so strong to be a big deal over your obligation to show people that they can do things that, that you know they're capable of. I, I, you know, I, I think the obligation there is to tell the truth and say, hey, you know, I'm not that great. Uh, and you have more skills than me. I tell DJ this all the time. DJ is my security guy. He's 25 years old. I'm like, bro, you're a hundred steps ahead of where I was at 25. And, and he's, you know what I'm saying? So like, I, I feel an obligation to really show people that they can fucking do it, man. And that's really what it comes down to. And I think, I really think, cause I have this conversation all the time, man. Like I'll be in the pool with my wife and we're talking and, um, I'm like, what is it? Like, why, why, why do people care? But I think they care because I care. I think that's the truth. So uh, that's my best guess, at least. I don't know. Yeah, it's that authenticity. You're an extremely authentic guy. Um, and I think people really resonate with that. And you're very open. You're very honest. It's no bullshit. And uh, you show vulnerability as well, which I think people can really connect with. And you talk about the hard times. And you, you definitely show up on the hard times more, more than most. I'm also curious at the level you're playing at right now, you know, you talk about how you used to compare yourself to others. Do you compare yourself to others right now at the level you're playing at? Yeah, but it's not who you would think, you know, uh, a lot of people ask me that and they, they, you know, I, I compare myself to guys like Phil Knight. I compare myself to guys like Steve Jobs. I compare myself to guys like Bezos. Like I don't compare myself to, to, and, and I know that sounds ridiculous because I'm, I'm a, I'm a speck of dust compared to what those guys have accomplished. But that's the standard that I try to hold myself to. And I tell myself, okay, those are lifelong guys. Those are guys who gave their whole life to what they have. And I'm, you know, I'm 40 years old. I haven't given my whole life to that yet. So uh, in a lot of ways, my mentality is probably uh, the same as a lot of, a lot of the younger guys now when they look at me. Right. And, and, and so, so I'm really in the same boat. It's just at a different level. You know, I don't want that to sound arrogant. Like, you know, Oh, I think I'm like that. No, that's where I aspire to go. I, because I realize also that when we build a company to that level, like we can do a lot better job than I think any of those companies, uh, actually building our economy locally, uh, making a good difference in the world, as opposed to just, you know, there's a lot of good that can be done with a company that size. And I don't see any of the big companies doing it. I see a lot of big companies pretending to do it. Uh, but like we see with, you know, let's say Nike right now where they're making products in China and they're not even paying their workers. Like that's not okay. I would not be okay with making money that way. So I feel like we have an obligation to get to that level so that we could show the world what it looks like to do it the right way and not just go all in on corporate greed. Yeah, no, I agree. So I'm, I'm curious as well, who do you learn from to, to play at the level you're playing right now and to aspire to, you know, build multi, a multi-billion dollar brand? Well, that's interesting, brother, because I kind of find myself right now without anybody to talk to. Um, you know, just like a lot of entrepreneurs who, are at the beginning, they feel alone, right? But they have podcasts to listen to from like guys like you, guys like me, guys like Ed Milet, guys who have done things um, to get coached upon. And there's lots of other guys like Dan Fleischman's a guy. He, I told you, he's my friend. He's here, right here. Um, 
I, I haven't built those relationships yet, to be honest. Uh, so I'm sort of in that in that I'm sort of in that uh, no man's land is where I call it, um, where you're going to go through a number of times through the phases of entrepreneurship where, you know, you're you're sort of like in between friend groups and phases. And so right now, you know, I pick up what I can pick up from books about guys. But like I don't have the relationships on a level yet where I'm calling up you know, Phil Knight and say, Hey, Phil, what the fuck do I do, bro? You know what I'm saying? So like, uh, so I'm kind of learning as I go right now on that level, to be honest. And do um, you, do you I, think I, that... I try to go ahead. So, no, sorry, please go on. No, I just think, you know, I try to watch, I just try to watch, you know, I talked to Gary V. Gary's a good buddy of mine. I talked to Gary, uh, but Gary and I are kind of on the same, we're kind of playing the same game. Mm. So we kind of, you know, <sighs> I'll let you know, man, but I'll, I'm sure I'm going to f- it up somehow, but I, I'm, I'm doing the best I can. Uh, but I try, you know, I, like you, I see you have Seth Godin on one of your, on one. Of, I think Seth Godin is the most brilliant entrepreneur mind that's existed ever. So, uh, you know, uh, guys like that is where I try to learn. You know what I mean? I didn't mean to interrupt, but, um, I'm curious as well. Like, it sounds like you feel like you, that, that he, no matter what journey you're on, where, wherever you're at, you do need to learn from others. Like, how you, how do you plan to approach that? Like, finding people that are a couple of steps ahead of you, networking and going out there at the level you're playing at and the level you want to play at. How, how do you plan to attack that? Well, uh, what's cool, like, so Ed Milet and I started this group called Arte Syndicate, which is an a entrepreneur group. Um, it's, it's a group that you have to qualify to be into. You have to fill out an pl- application everything. Uh, but what's cool about that group is there's actually people in that group that are more successful than both of us. So we're able, we're able to connect with people through that group and it benefits us as well in that way. Um, but yeah, man, like, you know, the bigger you get, you know, the less available people are because there's just not that many people out there. Like, you know, how, how, how many people out there own uh, a $5 billion company? There's just not a lot of people. So we, you know, what I try to do, bro, is I try to look at what other companies that I admire do and I try to watch their moves and, 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 uh, deduct their reasoning and their thought process. And what, you know, and basically this is kind of what I did with the supplement industry back when I couldn't afford to be in the supplement industry. Um, so when I had my one retail store, you know, we didn't have very many customers. So Chris and I had a lot of time to watch all the other brands do everything. And, and through watching, we were able to kind of, uh, you know, figure out what their game plan was and then see how it worked and observe and learn without actually having the contact with them. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, if you could teach yourself to do that, you really kind of remove the, the, uh, the necessary of having someone that you have to call or text or email or coach. Really, the best way to learn, in my opinion, is to pay attention and watch every single move of what people do and how they do it and then figure out, see if you can figure out why they're doing it and then paying attention if it works or not. And then you can you get a free lesson right there. It's free, you know, so that that's sort of what I've always done, man. Um, I've never paid. And this is not saying that you shouldn't. I'm a big believer, but I've just never paid. Uh, to have a consultant or a mentor or anything like that, I, I, 
I've just sort of figured it out as I go. And that's how I do it is I look at everybody else and then I take their moves and I, and I, and I make them, what was it good? Was it bad? How to work out? What were they thinking it was going to work like? And, and from what you could see in the public, it's pretty easy to do that. It seems like, you know, not on a daily basis, but you got to, you have to pay attention to somebody over the course of time. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, look, um, Tony Robbins talks about like success leaves clues and he's a big fan yeah. of modeling and you can, yeah, yeah, you can look at companies just like I do, like, like sure. many others do and you can study what they're doing, you can watch what they're doing, you can see the moves that they're making and you can kind of work out what's going on and the mechanics behind it. Yeah, and I, I've all, you know, Tony Robbins, that's a guy I've always, I've always, always, always loved his content. Um, you know, when I was 17 years old, I listened to uh, like Personal Power, or one of his programs it was amazing. It was the first time I'd ever really heard someone talk about a lot of the things that, you know, everybody talks about now. And so, uh, he's definitely a guy that has shaped, I think, I think anybody who's in the entrepreneur space as a guru right now, if they say that Tony Robbins didn't shape them, I think they're full of shit. <laughs> you know, he, he's just, that guy is, uh, that guy's done a lot of good for a lot of people. Yeah, no, I agree. So yeah. I'm curious, um, I'd love to talk to you about mindset. Like that's that's sure. one thing that um, you know you you are known for. Like you have this rock solid mindset, uh, and like I'm a big believer in around the idea that if you want to do something, whatever it is, whatever your goals are, whatever you want to accomplish in life, if you truly believe that you can do it, that is half the battle. Mm-hmm. What is your take there and, and, and how do you cultivate having like this discipline that you have having, and, and yes, you falter, we all do, yeah. but, but what are you doing to fuel your mindset, to have like a really solid mindset to, to be fearless? Like, you know? Yeah. You know, I think the main thing that I always tell myself is like, what if I don't do it? What if I don't? Like, what if I don't do everything I can? What am I going to feel like at the end of my life? What am I going to feel like in 10 years? What am I going to feel like in two years? And that took a while to really, you know, it takes getting a little older to, to have that really lock in. And, uh, it took me until I was about 35 years old to really have that make sense. Um, and at that time I was making a ton of money, uh, but I was very, very unhealthy, very fat, uh, very lazy when it came to, and, and I own nutrition companies, which made no sense. Um, but you know, like you said, a lot of uh, guys, I'm going to let you in on a little secret. A lot of the shit that I say that you guys love, I'm talking to myself, man. Uh, so, so really what you're hearing when you hear me get intense and say, Hey, you need to do this, 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 really what you're hearing is me telling me what I need to do. And so if you were with me 24 hours a day, like DJ is here most of the time, you would understand like, dude, I have weak moments. I have struggles. I, this shit, you know, what we see online, even for me, or even a guy like Goggins, who's, I, I know Goggins, he's a stud, but Goggins has to tell himself sometimes, Hey, quit being a fucking bitch. And so what we're hearing is what you guys are getting to experience is internal dialogue. And so I think, you know, how did I get to that, to have that mentality? Um, I think one, I, I realized that we have a, a finite amount of time to accomplish what it is we want to accomplish. And that took me a long time to figure out, you know, when I was in my twenties and my first half of my thirties, like most people, you think like you're going to live forever, but then things start happening. 
you get like maybe you get hurt or maybe you get uh, a friend gets killed in an accident or gets sick or maybe you get sick and you start to have this understanding that you have a time limit here. And when that really sunk in with me is when my life changed in terms of my mindset. Uh, I started to realize, okay, um, this is real. This isn't a rehearsal. This is my real life. And if I'm going to be what I really want to be, I'm going to have to do things very, very focused and very, very intentional and be, be a machine of productivity in all areas of my life. And so, um, I think that happens at different points in life for different people. Some people, it never happens and they're okay. Uh, living, you know, less than where they thought they wanted to be. I'm just not one of those people. Like I, I'm a very literal person. Like if I say, Hey, I want to be a hundred billion dollar company. That doesn't mean I want to be a $1 billion company. It means a hundred. And so I just realized, man, I'm not that I'm not, I'm, this is the truth. I'm not that smart. I'm not that skilled. And for me to compete with some of these dudes that are, I have to give everything I have. And so that was really the mindset flip for me uh, when it came to developing discipline and mental toughness and the things I needed. Um, and, and now I'm so far into it that I don't know. I'm scared to death of going back, but I don't know if I actually could because I just see things so different now. I mean, bro, when you and I first met, I was 350 pounds. You know what I'm saying? Like, it, it was quite a bit different back then. Um, and, and, you know, all the stuff that got me kind of on the map, you know, the fiery rants and, and, the and the shit that no one really was talking about. That was just me telling me, dude, you need to quit being a lazy piece of shit, you know? And, uh, <laughs> it, 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 people, people resonate with it, I guess, but you know, it, it's just internal dialogue, brother. And, uh, you know, I have a very, I have a very strong, um, ambition and I have, uh, a very strong, what I call bitch voice. All right. So I, everybody has a boss voice and a bitch voice. That's what I call them. And we want to listen. We, we want to, we want to train ourselves to listen to that voice that tells us, Hey dude, uh, it's time to go for a run. You haven't done shit today. You laid on the couch all day. You ain't like shit. Get off your fat ass and go for a run. That's our boss voice. Now that boss voice doesn't sound very good. It sounds painful. And our bitch voice is the one that says, nah, dude, look, tomorrow's fine. You've, you already, already messed up this day. We'll start again tomorrow. It's all good. And that is the voice that controls most people. Most people make all of their decisions based around comfort, based around uh, that what I call the, the bitch voice uh, in their lives. And that's why they that's why they feel all the time out of control. That's why they feel powerless. It's why they have anxiety. It's why a lot of people get depression episodes. And it's also why they never meet the person they want to meet. They never make the money they want to make. They never look the way they want to look. It's really the downfall of their entire existence is they listen to this one voice in their head and to, to really change your life, all you have to do is train yourself to listen to the other one, right? But nobody wants to talk about that because, you know, right now in society, what's popular? Self-love. Be nice to yourself. Well, dude, I'm going to be honest. If I got DJ sitting here and I care about DJ, I'm going to tell DJ, hey, bro, you got 50 pounds to lose. That's what love is. I'm loving that dude. 
because I'm telling them the truth and I'm giving them an opportunity to change it. And that, that's just how I see things. So, uh, I don't know. I've, at one point in time, I, I figured out, like, I need to start listening to that guy that sounds real mean in my brain. And my life got a lot better when I did. Yeah, no, that's fascinating. So um, did you, like, ever experience any adversity for this big change? Like something that just snapped? Was it like a snap? Oh, well, yeah, dude. I got tired of people calling me fat on the internet, to be honest. Um, that was the first thing. Like I would put out these great videos telling people about business and how to make money and do all these things. And the thing I would get back is like, bro, you're fucking fat. And wow. like, I got tired of hearing that. Oh dude, every, every single video that you ever saw of mine, every single one people, people saying that and like, dude, eventually that you just get tired of hearing it. And, and for me, like, I'm the kind of guy that like, you know, I kind of want to shove it down your throat. So like, I think I just got enough of that. And I was finally like, you know what? Fuck all of you. I'll show you what the fuck I can do. And I just went hard in that direction and I stuck there. And, and, and now I'm the happiest I've ever been. I'm making the most money I've ever made. I've, I mean, it's really the best it's ever been for me. Um, all because I got pissed off and I said, dude, I'm done with this. And, you know, obviously I had logical conversations in my brain where I was like, okay, well, this is. They're actually doing you a favor by telling you the truth. And so all those people that used to call me fat, I actually really appreciate those people now because it, it made me change that. It, it made me move towards that switch at some point. I wouldn't say there was a um, there was a moment in time, but I can remember one moment I had pneumonia and I was uh, it was like 2014, I think, or 15. And I remember I was laying on the couch um, watching that movie Pacific Rim, you seen Pacific Rim? Yeah. yeah. So like, I'm a sucker for those kind of movies that are real bad. Um, but I watch like Resident Evil. Like if Resident Evil's on, I watch it all the time, even though it's terrible. I don't know why. But uh, so I watched Pacific Rim. I'm laying at home, and dude, I I had pneumonia. I couldn't go to work. So I watched that movie like every day. But like, I kept checking my phone for our sales. Sales went up. They went up. They went up. I'm like, fuck, dude, I'm killing it. I'm making all this money and I'm laying there, you know, 350 pounds watching TV. I actually just told you about this today. Um, and I'm like, this is not what life's about. Like, this is not what it is. Like, and, and, and I realized, you know, what a lot of wealthy people say, you know, money is a good thing, but it will not make you happy. And so I wasn't happy and I was making a lot of money. And, uh, I knew that the first thing for me to be happy was to start getting that weight off of me so that I, you know, could experience normal things. Because, dude, when you're that big, you know, you don't go to you don't go to pool parties. You don't go to picnics. You don't go anywhere because you're embarrassed of how big you are. You know, when I was getting on the plane, I had the the the, the flight attendants were asking me if I need a seatbelt extender. And I'm like, what the fuck are you talking about? I'm like, I'm a fucking athlete. And like because I, I was always an athlete growing up. But I had lost touch of where I was, you know, and I, I almost did need a seatbelt extender. And um, God, I can remember I was flying private, dude. And the fucking pilot asked me if I need a seatbelt extension, man. I almost fucking killed him. Like I was so fucking mad. And my wife was with me and she's like, I can't believe he asked you that. And, and now I'm like, you know exactly why he asked me that. Because I fucking probably needed one. So um, 
you know, I, I don't know, bro. I, I think I just got enough. I got enough of what I didn't want that I just didn't want it anymore. You know what I mean? And it just flipped. So, uh, now I try to show other people how to do the same thing. Mm, yeah. And do you get stuck? Like, like throughout this journey, you know, where you've had this mindset shift and what appears to be an extremely disciplined person, like, you know, your core values, like discipline and, and ownership. Like, do you get stuck? What do you do when you're stuck? Uh, you mean like burned out? Yeah, burned out. Yeah. You know, I just keep going, man. Um, I got what I think might be a broken rib right now. Okay. And uh, I could barely breathe and barely move. And we were down, DJ trains with me and we were down training legs yesterday and I could tell he wanted to ask me like, hey bro, you want to stop? Like how many times do you want to ask me? Like 10 I times? Yeah, I, I, I wanted to stop. Yeah. yeah. So like his, he's my security guys right here. Um, but he, uh, he asked me like five times if I wanted to stop and I'm like, no, I'm not stopping. And even though it was physically hurting so bad, I could barely move. I was getting my energy from the fact that I know that 98% of people would say, yeah, dude, I'm going to quit today. And so I, I really like, dude, I really thrive on that dark energy and that dark side of like taking negativity and turning it into productive action. And I went home last night and I even texted him and I'm like, I don't know what I did today, bro. But like, this is the best I felt in months, even though I'm physically hurt. And so I think you know, what I do, what works for me when I'm stuck is just to keep moving, man. And like, sometimes you just have to let your systems work, pull you through the problem. Right. So like right now, you know, with what you guys are going through there and what, what's going on in the world, like what you guys are going through is ridiculous, but it's ridiculous everywhere. If you ask me and, and I'm, um, you know, I, like everybody else, I have anxiety and I'm worried. I'm like, fuck, this is bullshit. I'm pissed off. But, but I committed right at the beginning of the lockdowns to doing 75 hard really almost the whole time. And I told everybody, I'm like, I'm going to do this until this shit's over. Because I knew that I wouldn't be able to handle the mental bullshit that go, that's come along with all this stuff if I wasn't focused. And so you know, like right now, like there's been plenty of days where I've woke up and I'm like, I'm not doing it today, but somehow I find myself to work through it. And maybe I didn't get the best workout. Maybe I didn't, you know, uh, it wasn't the best day, but I let my system carry me through. Okay. And whatever your system is, is your system and everybody can have their system. 75 hard is just a default system for people to use. And what, what's, what's happening now is even on my days that are, I'm really stuck and I'm really not feeling like doing it, I'm still doing it and it's pulling me through. So the actual structure is pulling me through the hard times. So that way, when all this stuff goes away, I can look around and say, man, my life is so much better and I'm in a better spot just because I, I, I let the system pull me through, even though I didn't feel like it. You see what I'm saying? So I remove the ability to make, I remove the ability for myself to make decisions based around how I feel. And I make decisions based around what I know has to be done instead. And, and that just makes all the difference, you know? Yeah, no, that makes sense. So you've been doing a variation of the 75 hard program your whole life. Different, different habits. So like, um, 
the way that I came up with the, with the program was I used to, uh, I was always interested cause I was very mentally weak. Um, in high school I was a great athlete, but I was very soft mentally. I didn't work hard. Um, I was lazy. I had natural talent. I just didn't utilize it. And, um, I always was fascinated by the people like, let's just use somebody. Everybody knows Michael Jordan, right? Who had uh, the relentless work ethic that he had and that he's famous for. He's more famous for his work ethic than he is the results he produced. And so I was always fascinated with how does someone like that get there mentally? And then I, I see people like, let's just say David Goggins, because I love Goggins. I think Goggins is awesome right now. And, you know, I see like, how do you train yourself to run 200 miles? Like, that's fascinating to me. And so what I did was I started to deconstruct different areas of discipline. And I looked around for, you know, programs, right? There's programs to lose weight. There's programs to build relationships. There's programs to, uh, you know, do anything you want to do. But there was no programs on how to be mentally tough. And so I started to try to figure out why that was. And, and like most people, you know, they think you're kind of either born with mental toughness or you're not. And if you didn't get it, you're, you're fucked. And I'm here to tell you that's not true. You can develop it just like you develop a muscle, just like you develop your knowledge. You can develop mental toughness. It just takes a certain level of exercising the discipline to become more disciplined. Just like if we wanted to build our arms, we'd have to train our arms for them to get bigger, right? So so to, to build discipline, you have to exercise discipline. To build patience, you've got to exercise patience. One of the things, one of my favorite quotes of all time was from a guy I took guitar lessons from. Uh, he said, bro, you need to be more patient. You know how you get more patient? And I said, no. And he said, by doing things that require patience. And I thought about that. I'm like, fuck, that's some gold, man. And that made sense with me on the discipline front. So I just take the word patience and insert discipline. And so that's when I started to tie it all together. And so where 75 hard came from is eventually in 2016, I kind of figured out what this puzzle looked like for me. And then, you know, I did it and I lost almost a hundred pounds and I did it for years and then off the spur of a bet last year, um, I had a $250,000 bet with some guys in my Arte group uh, that I was going to get below 10% body fat uh, and it happened to be 75 days. So I just said, all right, dude, now you guys are going to see how this works. You can, you're going to see what you can do in 75 days. And I went from untrained, basically sloppy fat to completely ripped in 75 days and I, and, and, and a lot of people just jumped in and did it with me. And that's how the whole movement got started. Yeah. Wow. That's crazy. Well, look, um, man, I'm mindful of your time. You've been extremely, uh, extremely giving with your time. Uh, we have to work towards wrapping up, but, um, what's exciting for you? Like what, you know, during this crazy time, like what, what's exciting for you, uh, with the 75 hard movement, everything going on with first form, all the other companies you have going on, what's, what's most exciting for you? Um, I think what's most exciting for me is I, cause we have so many people doing 75 hard right now. 
What's so exciting for me is knowing that there's literally tens of thousands of people that are going as a result of a program that I developed, they're going to take a time that was arguably one of the most difficult times in human history ever. And they're going to look back and say, that was the time that made me. That makes me feel good. That's what I'm excited about. You know, making money, business, all these things. That's great. And I love it. And I'm excited about that too. But knowing that there's people that wouldn't have otherwise even survived this mentally that are going to look back and say, that was the fucking time that made my life. That's exciting to me. Yeah, no, that's, that's true legacy. And that's what you're building. And yeah. I have a lot of respect for that. Thank you, brother. I appreciate it. Well, look, um, I really appreciate you. you having me on the show too, man. Oh, you're welcome. Really, really cool. Thank you yeah, so much. You guys are doing great. Yeah. Oh, thank you. That means a lot, man. So, Look, yeah. um, last question is, where's the best place people can find out more about yourself, the 75 Hard program and your work? Yeah, just on my website, andyforsella.com. Um, and then I'm active on, on uh, my podcast, uh, which is on iTunes. It's called Real AF. Uh, we're in the business category. Um, it used to be called the MFCEO Project, but the MFCEO feed is still in there. So if you want to go back and listen to the old episodes, you can do that. Um, but mainly on social, I'm active on Instagram stories. Uh, I don't really even static post, but I do stories every day. And, um, that's really all I can do right now. I'm a big believer in doing my social media myself. Uh, it's really the only thing I can commit to doing, but I do it every day and, uh, that's how I communicate with everybody. So, uh, if you want to learn more about 75 hard, you go on andyforsella.com. There's a section for it there. It's a free program. Uh, you don't have to pay to join. There's, there's no financial obligation whatsoever. Um, and you know, follow me on Instagram and, and then follow the podcast and that'll kind of keep you up to date with everything I got going on. Amazing. Well, look, thank you so much for your time, man. We will, we will wrap there, but yeah, congratulations on everything you're doing and thank you so much. Thank you, brother. I really appreciate you having me on. Uh, you guys are doing a great job and I've been a big fan of what you guys are doing for a long time as well. So really cool to be on the show. Hey guys, I hope you enjoyed this interview. As you might already know, our mission at Founder is to help tens of millions of people every single week with our content either start or grow their business, which is exactly why we're partnering with world-class founders such as Damon John, Alexa Von Tobel, Greta Van Riel, and so many more to teach crucial skills such as negotiation, finance, e-commerce, and so much more. So if you'd like to get access to these free exclusive trainings, please go to founder.com forward slash free. These are 100%. We go super in depth on teaching a particular topic and I know that you're going to love them if you enjoy this podcast. So just go to founder.com forward slash free. All right, guys, I'll see you in the next episode.